Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire, Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, Real Madrid have finally made a move for a long-term attacking target and he's not alone. It appears that a revolution is underway at the Bernabeu, and while big names will be coming in, there could also be huge ones leaving. We take a deep dive into the latest on the comings and goings that will help form Zinedine Zidane's squad for next season. And Wolves are a sleeping giant no more. Sitting 7th in the league and having dumped Manchester United out for the Cup, Nuno and his team can be satisfied with what is looking to be a very successful season. But is any of this really a surprise? we take you inside the club's structure to examine the detail that underpins what happens on the pitch. Well, we start with some transfer news and Duncan has a line on one of the biggest deals that you'll see all summer. What is it, Dunks? Um, well, it's something we've been discussing as a possibility for a long time now, um, something that Chelsea have been aware of and worried about for a long time. And that is uh, Real Madrid making a formal offer for Eden Hazard, their best player, um, and has been their best player for some time. Hazard, as we know, has one year left in his contract um, this summer. Um, he's refused to sign a contract extension at Chelsea despite their best efforts. They've made him uh, extremely good offers, which would, would have made him the best paid player in the club's history. Um, Hazard, obviously, last summer made no secret about the fact that um, if Madrid were to come in for him, he would be interested in moving there. That didn't happen in the end. Um, but uh, I am told that uh, Madrid have, in the past weeks, uh, formally approached Chelsea um, to make a offer for Hazard. Um, I believe that has been turned down by Chelsea. But I think they are well aware that um, the circumstances are such that they're presented essentially with the same choice as they had with Thibaut Courtois one year ago. Um, they have one of their best players with a year left in his contract. That player wants to move um, to Real Madrid. Real Madrid want that player. Um, their option will come down to um, allow him to go this summer for a good fee. And I believe Chelsea think they can still get as much as 100 million euros for Hazard out of Madrid. Um, or say no, um, deal with the consequences of keeping the player um, against his will for an additional season and lose him for free in a year's time. Um, interesting uh, sort of side element in this is I think when we discussed um, that Real Madrid's priority for the summer, Florentino Perez's priority for the summer was Neymar. What would the implications be for Eden Hazard? Would that rule out the possibility of him moving there? We said it didn't. Um, what I'm hearing is that Neymar is actually in favour of Real Madrid uh, moving for Hazard as well as himself. Um, and the reason is that he doesn't want to be the only big name signing coming into Madrid this summer. Um, in, in this sort of huge transfer window they have ahead of them with Saddam back in place with the idea that they have to um, 
overhaul their squad and turn themselves back into contenders for the Champions League and more importantly to try and get the, the Spanish title back uh, from Barcelona. Um, Neymar's conscious that if such a large transfer fee is expended on him, if um, he gets a, a, the high wages that will be needed to take him out of PSG and he comes as the kind of the hero figure supposed to be the player on the pitch to turn around and, and make the difference that Cristiano Ronaldo made and, and Real Madrid are allowed to depart, that might be too difficult or too much pressure on him or make his transition to Madrid, which he wants to be successful, um, harder than it could be. So he's encouraging um, Madrid to uh, do other big name deals along with him. So I think there you have the answer. Can You have Hazard and Neymar uh, being signed in the one summer. As far as Madrid are concerned, you can if you can get uh, Chelsea and Paris Saint-Germain to agree the deals. This is um, a classic old-school Florentino Perez. <clears throat> we talked a little bit about it last week, didn't we? Um, about the galactic era between sort of 2000 2009 um, when Perez would make bold moves uh, to sign one world-class player, uh, probably the most valuable player every summer. Uh, and this time, too, I don't think is without their, with, you know, out with their grasp. Um, I've been told on, on many times, um, right from close season last summer, that Hazard was perfectly calm about his situation, that he's spoken to Chelsea and told them that he didn't rule out staying at the club. However, if Real Madrid came in for him and they found a, a way to agree a valuation, uh, etc., then it was his choice to leave. And uh, that rather than do it last summer, when he had a period of um, of believing that he might move along with Courtois to Madrid um, uh, in that window, um, he decided that that was not something that he wanted to do. It would upset Chelsea too much and that he felt that at his stage in his career, he could wait another year. So uh, I'm fairly certain that Chelsea already believe that they will sell Hazard to Real Madrid. It's the player's choice. Um, he's been a brilliant servant, um, probably for more years than maybe he, he might have stuck around for, to be fair. But he leaves in the peak of his career. You know, he's got the best years in front of him. And playing in a Real Madrid attack with Neymar, and, you know, it'd be very interesting to see who plays as, as the point striker or the middle of the, of the, three tri of the trident up top. Because uh, I think Karen Benzema is probably just the wrong side uh, of his career um, to keep up with um, Neymar and Hazard. He would still probably be at the 30-yard line when those guys were already in the box. So um, it'd be interesting to see how um, Zidane and Real Madrid deal with that particular conundrum. But the wonderful thing for us, you know, on the outside looking in, in terms of you know the fun and excitement uh, of this kind of stuff, is that this triggers a merry-go-round. I mean. Bale, I suspect, has to leave because he can't play right or left of a trident when you've got Neymar and Hazard. So he's going to have to go. And despite his agent saying that no one can afford his wages, well, that's not quite true. And Bale's someone who, again, will feel he's in the prime of his career, so he's not going to want to sit in the, the sorry, I should say, sit at the golf club at Real Madrid. Um, <laughs> he'll want to go to somewhere like Bayern Munich um, or even back to the Premier League and play football um, and see, you know, the premier sort of his career on the pitch rather than on the bench. So, um, I mean, I think the only question sort of unanswered uh, on stuff like this is, you know, 
does John Terry still have a parity deal? Because he might be claiming that on, if Hazard has been offered to, to be made the best um, paid player in the club's history. Is that right, Duncan? Does, still, does that still exist? <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons Chelsea got him off the, off the books. <laughs> so that's one for all you historical Chelsea fans out there. The John Parr, Terry, I must get paid the same as the highest paid player at the club deal. That was an astonishing clause in his contract when he, remember he was being poached by Manchester City and uh, he was given that clause as a, a way of making sure he stayed. And I, I'm not sure that um, your, your analysis that Gareth Bale would, wouldn't rather spend his time in the Real Madrid golf club is right, actually, given what he's been tweeting <laughs> on social media recently about the Players' Championship in the, middle of, in the middle of Real Madrid's biggest crisis in, in, in years. Your seven uh, iron must be really, really bent by the times you've beat Gareth Bale with it. <laughs> One of the things with Hazard, though, is I, I would suspect that this will be a deal that goes a long way through the transfer window. I mean, Ian was talking about classic Florentino Perez move. I think um, the, you, if you look at the way that he's tended to recruit players in the past, they, they make these approaches, they make it clear to the player that he's wanted, they get the player on board, then they go to the club um, who um, owns the player's contract and they put low ball offers in and uh, wait for the pressure um, to... Uh, be exerted on the club and them to assess their options and hope and that club try and get the biggest transfer fee possible and generally it goes down to close to the, the wire in the transfer window as that negotiation process goes through uh, with Madrid confident that they will get the best price because they know the player wants to come to them and, and, in, a, and in a situation like this, um, Madrid knowing that Chelsea have got a difficult um, choice because they will lose him for nothing in a year's time. So that I would not expect this one to be finalised quickly in terms of the actual transfer going through. But what I'm hearing from Hazard's end is, is as far as he's concerned, that's where he's going to be next season. So he has the belief that he's going to be a Real Madrid player. They will go through with it. Um, and uh, part of that rebuild and, and leaving a big question mark for whoever's in charge of Chelsea next season as to um, what kind of squad he will have, given that FIFA have uh, denied Chelsea's request to have their um, transfer window suspend, transfer to transfer window um, ban suspended, um, which, which makes their... their um, position for next season even more complicated than it was a couple to, of months to ago. Be fair, to be fair, Duncan, they have got Christian Pulisic in, you know, already done. So that, that was clearly a move done in January in order to, um, with, sorry, the spectre of the transfer window ban hanging over them and the idea that Hazard might leave. So, you know, even though he's young and, you know, untested as far as the Premier League is concerned, you know, £62 million, pounds, I think it was, in, in fee, shows a lot of faith in a, in a player so young and uh, you know I, I I think you know the writing's on the wall here Pulisic signs in January you know Hazard will leave in the summer um, the difference between Hazard and Neymar is that as I'm Madrid believe they can get Hazard relatively easily because of the position they're in and because Hazard's on one year less of his contract whereas Neymar might be the one that goes to the wire because the player will end up probably like Rubinho, that, that dreadful mess, do you remember, when he was sitting crying in a self-appointed press conference on the eve of the transfer window and was told he was they had a late bid from Manchester and he said, that's brilliant, I've always wanted to play for United. 
So I think Neymar will be the one crying uh, on the eve of the transfer window deadline saying, please release me, PSG, let me go. Um, I've used that one before. Anyway, uh, you should hear me play piano. Um, anyway, so... Uh, I, 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 take, I, take your, I take your point on Pulisic, but I think the, the problem Chelsea has is bigger than bringing Pulisic yes. in. He's not... There is no way he's a direct replacement for Hazard no, in terms of I quality. I don't, for all his talent and his ability in certain games, I don't think he's going to reach Hazard's level as a player. I, I'm just talking to uh, the people who are paid to make these expert judgments in football. There doesn't seem a conviction that he's that level of player, good as he is. And they, they've also got problems with William and Pedro, who I think are um, going into the final year of their contracts as well. So it's they either retain these players um, and give them improved deals, um, which they probably are, are, are a bit reluctant to do. They've been thinking about replacing them anyway. But now they, they will probably have to um, extend them or they lose another one of those this summer and turn to their youth ranks to fill those gaps. And, you know, it's, if you look at the Chelsea squad over the last five, six, seven years, it's pretty much continually gone into decline. They, they, uh, yeah. they, they have been selling players and not replacing with the same level of quality on a consistent basis. I was going to say, Duncan, that you mentioned um, just last week, and it's certainly the case that no Manchester City player who was wanted by the club has ever been allowed to leave because they have that you know, infinite pool of cash in order to, mm. to replace contracts. PSG are kind of the same, but now we're seeing a bit of revolution at PSG with Adrian Rabiot effectively, you know, saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to renew my contract. And he's been banished from the first team squad until the end of this month. Uh, it's an incredible situation there. But you would have said five years ago, Chelsea were in that same category. They never lost a player that they wanted to keep. They're not a selling club. And now they are a selling club. And this, again, is part of the bigger picture regarding the ownership of the club and the disaffection that, um, that Roman Abramovich now has regarding all his links to the UK um, after the visa revoke last year. So um, they will sell Hazard for, yeah, probably around 100 million euros. And for a player of his talent and quality, if he was under contract for another three years, you'd be looking at two or three times 100 million euros. So the, the players, and Rabiot is obviously a lesser version of this, are running the contracts down simply to say, no, no, I've got the power now. If I want to leave, I'll leave because you need to take the money for me after everything you've invested in me so far. And, um, you know, I think that, again, similar situation at Spurs with Christian Eriksen, whose contract expires uh, a year in the summer. Um, and he will be very much a target for many clubs, certainly elite clubs, this summer as well. Yeah, and there's a, look, there's the, the, the contrast with Manchester City is clear. I mean, just last week we saw Manchester City doing what they do consistently with their best players, which is give them... Uh, long deals at a good moment in their career and early in their career at the club. So Bernardo Silva has been tied down for another long-term deal, probably their best player this season uh, in midfield. Um, just you take that option of the player running the, down the contract out, completely out by every year and a half or two years, giving them a, a big new improved deal above the terms that they can get at any other Premier League club. Um, they've done it with Raheem Sterling. He was probably the one who got closest to the wire. And I think it's actually quite interesting that um, off the back of Raheem Sterling's um, hat-trick, 
the other week, we now see reports that uh, Zinedine Zidane uh, wants him at Real Madrid. Uh, and uh, my analysis on that would be, yes, in the ideal world, Zinedine Zidane might be interested in taking Raheem Sterling uh, to Madrid, but he will know that that's impossible. Um, they will not get him out of Manchester City. They have other players they're looking at. So what is that? Where does that story come from? It's probably come from Raheem Sterling thinking, ah, there might be a chance for another pay upgrade here. Um, so watch and, and see if you get a few more maybe Raheem Sterling to Barcelona stories or Raheem Sterling to Juventus stories in the next few weeks and and whether uh, and how Manchester City respond to that. One of the other players has been a little bit of uh, speculation regarding is Thibaut Courtois. Is there anything in the talk that he might be set for a move? I think um, I think it was Courtois. Um, but I talked to someone close to Courtois this morning um, to ask him what his reaction was to being dropped um, for Zidane's first game uh, back at, at Madrid as manager. And I was told he's very calm about it. Um, there hasn't been any issues with the club. There was a few stories that he'd been reprimanded for his behaviour by um, uh, Florentino Perez recently. They're told that's not true. Um, what happened was Zidane had a team meeting before uh, his first match and told the entire squad that he intended to give the players who'd been sidelined by Solari and Lopetegui um, the opportunity to prove themselves uh, in his last essentially meaningless games before the end of the season and that uh, players who had to sacrifice their place to give those um, sideline players an opportunity shouldn't be worried because it didn't mean that they were um, now uh, long-term, no, not first-team choices. So Courtois' perception is he's still the first uh, choice at Madrid. Uh, it's been a difficult first season, but um, isn't concerned that he was dropped at the weekend. However, um, I think... There is uh, a possibility that Madrid would take the option of um, uh, cashing in on Courtois this summer. I think that possibility only comes into play if they're able to do a deal for David De Gea. Um, I think, well, I know there's a long-term interest from Madrid and De Gea and, and vice versa. Um, Florentino Perez has tried to do that deal on more than one occasion. Um, and then uh, what would happen if uh, Madrid were able to get De Gea out of Manchester United and we're talking about another player who's um, going to have just one year left in his contract. Uh, contract discussions we've reported on for months and months uh, made it clear that De Gea wants to be the best paid player at the club. Uh, he's been told by Ed Woodward that will not happen. So um, there is clear potential for a move there from the player's side. I don't think, I'm sure Manchester United do not want to lose him, but um, where offers to come in, then you're going to have a that interesting decision to be made again. So let's uh, work on the assumption that Madrid do that. What do they have to do with Courtois? They certainly can't keep two um, goalkeepers of that standard. You then would look for an out for Courtois. Um, where is the obvious out uh, at, at present? It would be Paris Saint-Germain, who have Buffon in goals uh, on a one-year contract with a, with a one-year option, have been looking for a top-level goalkeeper for years, um, are also interested in De Gea. Um, but tried to get Courtois uh, out of Chelsea when Madrid were um, were 
working on that deal. So there is, there's been contact between Courtois and PSG before and strong interest from the club. And I think at one point, Courtois felt uh, his most likely destination out of Chelsea had been PSG. So I think, I don't think anything has happened um, between PSG and Courtois at this stage. But I get that's um, something that could come into play. Um, across the summer window. And I think it emphasises again just how big a window we're going into. So much flux in terms of um, the top squads with with um, Madrid and, and Bayern Munich, for example, having really bad seasons. And you're going to have a couple of the Premier League clubs out of almost certainly out of the Champions League um, for next season, unless one of them um, manages to win the Europa League or Champions League and gets that extra uh, fifth qualifying spot and a lot of pressure um, to do work in the transfer market and also a lot of flux in the manager stage as well. I think Courtois has been unlucky um, in some senses and it's difficult to say that when someone gets their dream move to Real Madrid and the kind of contract that he has been rewarded with. But he landed at the same time as the absolute chaotic storm um, that basically ran through that club and Lopetegui was appointed... And then Solari uh, came in to replace him, etc., etc. And now he's got his third manager. And that he's only seven months into his Real Madrid career. And the, uh, the Madridista, the fans of Real Madrid, especially the ultras, the hardcore, they always look for a scapegoat. Um, often it is the manager, but I think Courtois has been, as I said, unfortunate that he has been the scapegoat for a lot of the um, disgruntlement and uh, criticism and protest um, from the Real Madrid support, who are notoriously fickle and vociferous uh, if their club is not performing at the levels which not just they have been accustomed to, but has been the case for you know the last 50, 60 years. Um, easy to blame the new boy, um, I think. And um, I think Courtois himself, uh, from speaking to people close to him, um, has felt quite aggrieved at the treatment that he's had. Um, but at the same time, I was told within the last couple of weeks, um, and this is pre-Zidane being appointed and pre-being dropped for Keila Navas uh, last weekend, that he was determined to stay and not to be seen as someone who wasn't up for the fight. Um, however, you know, every manager has his own choices. And um, as Duncan's explained, um, Zidane has not um, singled Courtois out and said, you're being dropped because you're rubbish. He simply said, look, I'm giving the guys who've not played a chance because they played well for me uh, over my three seasons in charge. Um, and then let's see what, where it goes from there. It would be an interesting carrot, wouldn't it, for the Neymar deal that Madrid, uh, they covet so, uh, so much uh, from PSG. <clears throat> Although I must say, um, given the Qatari owners of PSG, first of all, they don't need to sell Neymar and they don't want to, then they won't. But I suspect, you know, as I said, the player will be crying to get out of there. Um, it's not exactly the kind of signing that will sort of, you know, send out the right signals. A goalkeeper for, you know, the pro pro possibly the world's most well-known player. Um, so uh, it's going to be a very, very uh, busy transfer window. Um, as I said, as for us guys, you know, that's the excitement and the fun. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> you guys out there listening, you know that you get all the, the news first here. I think, I think you're right, Ian. I think Thibaut Courtois has been very unfortunate in going to Madrid in the season in which Cristiano Ronaldo's left. 
Um, and you know, Zidane was aware of how big the problems were be were going to be this season, and that's why he got out and and he's timed his uh, his return very well, so he can be the um, the, the hero again uh, for next season and get the best of the recruitment. Uh, I mean, there's no question how good a goalkeeper Courtois is. He, he's demonstrated that from very early stages of his career. He was exceptional at Atletico Madrid. He was exceptional at Chelsea. He's the best goalkeeper at the last World Cup. Um, he can be afforded a, uh, a difficult first season. But but um, if Madrid have the chance to get De Gea, um, we know who they preferred to have in the first place. Uh, and as I, if you say that there's a possibility of rolling him into that Neymar deal, um, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, blocks might be clicking together on that one. Wolves have been absolutely fantastic this year, guys. They're sitting seventh in the Premier League after coming up from the Championship last year, and now they are also in the semi-final of the FA Cup after a two-one victory over Manchester United. Should we be surprised at this level of achievement from this Wolves team? I, I I'm personally of the opinion that we shouldn't be. Um... This is an extremely well-funded and well-run club. And I get a little bit miffed at the accusations of there being some kind of, you know, uh, conspiracy or um, underhand um, means of, of making wills as good as they are because of the involvement of George Mendes, his gestifoot agency, um, with regards to the Chinese investors' foursome. Because if you are a a group of investors taking in, a, a, in this case, a championship club when they, they bought Wolves, <clears throat> and you know nothing about football, then you go to someone who knows as much as football as you can possibly um, you know, hope for. And in this case, George Mendes was involved in the, the sale of Wolves. He was part of the, the brokering um, uh, group who found Fosun a club to buy. Why would you not go and ask him to consult and say, right, Where's, you know, who should we buy, who should we get as manager, etc., etc. This is not unusual anywhere in the world, never mind in English football. Um, and when EFL clubs wrote to the um, administrative bodies last season when Wolves were cruising the championship to complain and, and even uh, accuse Wolves of some kind of, you know, breaking the rules, was Mendes just to put an investor, etc., etc., is that why... Um, Wolves were getting all these good players to come and play in the Championship. That's nonsense. There's no third-party ownership uh, allowed in the UK. First, That's the first thing. So even though these are Mendes clients who've come to Wolves, they, they do not to stand to benefit from the transfer fees that are paid. Yes, they get commission, but that's standard for any transfer fee. So we should explode that myth that somehow Gestefoot and George Mendes are um, in cahoots and therefore, you know, profiting from Wills' success. Bottom line is, they got a very, very talented manager, Nuno Espirito Santo, obviously, who combines organisation with great tactical discipline and players who are technically gifted. Now, the results speak for themselves. Again, in, in 11 games against the top six this year, Wills have won four, drawn four and lost three. They're in the FA Cup semi-final the club is for the first time in 26 years. They beat Liverpool in the third round of the FA Cup and then, last weekend, eliminated Manchester United, who themselves had beaten Chelsea and Arsenal away to get to the quarterfinals. Now, I think this is a, a, a great example of how, a, you know, what we love that old, you know, is he a sleeping giant or just a big lad having a nap? 
Wolves is a, is a sleeping giant. It's a club with incredible tradition and history. Um, and now they're in seventh place in the Premier League, as you said, Johnny. And yes, Raul Jimenez, Diego Jota, you know, uh, Neves, Moutinho, Rui Patrizio, great signings. But remember, they're all being marshaled by a man who used to play, you know, League One football in, in Connor Cody, who's been exceptional as well and brings you that sort of, you know, he keeps that dressing room. Uh, he educates the other players about what it means to play in English football. And so they've not been, you know, hijacked or surprised um, by anything they've come up against this season. They've taken a couple of big defeats, but but seventh place speaks for itself. And what I wanted to say as well is, this is not an unusual situation because in Arsenal's invincible teams, there was a, an agent called Jerome Anderson who represented about seven of the starting 11 in the Invincibles. Then you've got Jonathan Barnett, um, and his stellar agency, who obviously we know is re- representing Gareth Bale, but he also has several players at Spurs and is very sort of associated with Spurs. And then you've got even Mendes himself, when Jose Mourinho went to Chelsea in 2004 and brought people like Carvalho um, and uh, Paulo Ferreira and laterally Deco as well. So but the, these things happen and it's not unusual. It's just that it's not usually as um, as transparent or as in in. Uh, the news as the gesture for interest in Wills. And um, I think they've been a you know, wonderful addition to the Premier League. And you know, the football they play, as we saw um, against Manchester United in the quarterfinal, um, and outsmarting tactically uh, you know, Solskjaer, who himself had just obviously come off um, the miracle of PSG, uh, just tells you just how far they've come in such a short time. Is it a surprise? Um, not at all. Um, if, I think if you go back to the transfer window towards the end of last season, I think probably just about the time that Wolves either secured the promotion or the, the championship title, you'll see we did a bit um, talking about how this had come about, the quality of their football. And um, I think I predicted at the time that there would be a good shout for a uh, Europa League place from this season's Premier League table. Now, they haven't got that yet. It's quite tight between 7th and 11th in terms of points differential. But they're certainly a good shout and, and not a bad shout for the, um, for the FA Cup either. Um, and I think look, we also did a lot on Ruben Neves at the time. There was a, a, a huge complaint um, by other championship clubs about Neves' signing and saying how, how could Wolves afford uh, to buy a player of his quality um, who'd played Champions League for Porto. Actually, Ruben Neves um, wasn't uh, in the forefront of the Porto team at the time. He'd been offered to multiple Premier League clubs by Jesse Futi and Mendes, who turned him down. Um, Wolves were prepared to do the deal. He wasn't expensive because he had a a very um, uh, low-level contract at uh, Porto, um, having broken into the Porto side as a teenager and not having had it improved during his period there. So Wales got him, I forget the exact numbers, but it was um, off the top of my head £25,000 a week, which is not close to being the top salary in in the Championship. Um, and That's also the, less than half the average Premier League salary, Duncan, as well. I think he's had an upgrade since, but that, that's... Yeah, no, he got, it, he, got a, he got an upgrade in the summer, um, yeah. obviously, because there was there was interest from Champions League clubs, including Manchester City, by that point. But this, you know, this is the Wolves' model, and as Ian explained, the owners have put their trust in one of uh, one of the most intelligent 
people in football in terms of handling transfer market, spotting talent, um, giving it a pathway to develop. And a part of the Mendes Jesse Footy model is he prefers to work with clubs who trust his judgment um, because he wants to place his players at a club where he knows they're going to get good playing time. He knows they're going to be picked by the manager. He knows that the, the manager will see will have their long-term career in mind because that's the best for his client long-term. Everything's being thought about what, not exactly what you can do on the pitch now, but what you can do on the pitch now and, and what you can do in the future. Uh, and that model, it clearly works. Wolves are a great example of it. Um, they, they have um, invested their trust in someone who knows what they're doing and they're getting the benefits of it. And I think there's significantly more to come. Um, I understand they were quite constrained in what they could do in the transfer market um, by FFP rules uh, last summer. Uh, and I would expect them to be more aggressive in this summer's transfer market than they were uh, going into their, uh, their first uh, Premier League season. So you know, it's maybe too big, to, um, too big a jump for them to talk about them getting into the top six. And I think they probably need to expand their squad uh, a fair bit in terms of the dimension of the players they've got to um, to add different style of football. I think if you look at the results this season, the the counter attacking, um, you know, the highly technical counter attacking style they used against Manchester United, it's been very successful against the bigger teams. Uh, but they've had some problems beating the teams they would be expected to beat, and I think that's the next step for them is to add. Um, more quality players and give themselves a broader range of tactical options. But just, you know, one thing on that, that Manchester United game, I think it, it, uh, FA Cup game, I think it puts, should put to bed the idea that possession um, is a kind of guiding statistic in football because Wolves um, were dominant in that game. They were easily the better team. They had far more shots than Manchester United. They had far more shots in goal and most importantly, they won it and they won it comfortably. But they did that in only 36 eight percent of possession in the game so you don't have to have the ball the entire game uh, to play great football you just have to be very good on the ball when you do have it okay guys it's now time for our version of the quickfire round that we do on monday which is heroes and villains um our guys will give us who they feel deserves the moniker for this weekend's action so we're going to start with you duncan who's your hero uh my hero this week is one of the nice guys in football, um, the Watford goalkeeper, Aurelio Gomez, who um, was uh, came off the pitch in tears at the end of Watford's 2-1 uh, home FA Cup victory over Crystal Palace. Um, explained afterwards that he's 99% decided to retire at the end of the season and, um, and that his plan in retirement is to become a pastor in, in Brazil. Um, but I met Aurelio when he was a Tottenham goalkeeper. Um, had a long interview with him uh, then. Uh, what, absolutely a, a genuine, fascinating character. Um, a happy individual, a positive individual. And um, I think it's I think anyone who's who's come across him would would say that delighted for his success in getting to that FA Cups final and with uh, FA Cup semi-final getting to Wembley and um, what an end to his career it would be if he could take Watford to have I think in similar, similar vein to Wolves been exceptional this season in, in the quality and intelligence of the football they've played if they could um, make it all the way to the final Ian who's the villain? 
Well, keeping in the goalkeeper theme here in the FA Cup, um, I'm going to emphasize uh, with Millwall fans, the first time I've ever uttered that sentence, uh, uh, with regards to their goalkeeper, David Martin, um, who uh, obviously no one really knows what he did for that Solly March free kick in the quarterfinal on Sunday, in which they uh, gave up a two-goal lead within the space of four minutes at the very end of the match. Uh, they could have been going to a semi-final place at Wembley and instead uh, they lose on penalties. Um, I don't like criticising people for errors of judgement uh, in terms of, because the guy actually played a, a reasonably good game anyway, but he obviously was first of all out of position to start with given where the free kick was being taken from. He then mis- misjudges the flight of the free kick and then when he tries to rescue himself and the ball, that goes through his hands. Um, so I think from Millwall's point of view, um, and their fans, that would be, you know, a, a villainous offence. Um, obviously, Brighton being my local team, as our listeners know, um, I would have described it as a marvellous tragedy. Uh, and I was there uh, to witness it behind the goal. And so I do thank David Martin for allowing Brighton to get that semi-final play against Manchester City. What's the word from Solly March on, on whether that free kick was intentional Oh, definitely or not? intentional. Absolutely. Spotted the goalkeeper's weakness. And when, went when, have you, when have you ever heard a football player? Not, not claim credit for a goal. Come on. That's like Johnny saying he doesn't like ducks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or well with that, um, Quacker's comment from Ian, it's time to wrap this particular transfer window up. But fear not, we'll be back on Wednesday with your questions answered. Um, and that will fulfil all your podcasting needs. Uh, to continue the debate, we're all on Twitter. You can contact us at Transfer Podcast. Uh, at Johnny R. McFarlane, at Garbo SG, or at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, as this help, helps us reach as many listeners as possible. Until Wednesday, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.